Book four, chapter sixteen to eighteen of Amadis of Gaul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Amadis of Gaul by Vasco de Lobera. Translated by Robert Southey. Book four, chapter sixteen. How it fortuned that Don Quaragante and Brian of Monjaste lost themselves at sea and by adventure found Queen Briolania, and of what befell them. After Don Quaragante and Don Brian had parted from Don Grumedan, they proceeded to the shore, and there embarked to carry their tidings to the firm island. The first day they voyaged on with prosperous weather, but at night the sea began to rage, and so great a tempest arose that the sailors lost all command of the ship, and they were driven they knew not whither expecting to be swallowed up by the waves. Thus they drove along all night, in sufficient fear, for in dangers like these neither arms nor courage avail aught. And when the day broke and the sailors could look about them, they found they were near the kingdom of Sobradisa, where the fair Queen Briolania reigned. At this time was the storm abated, and as they were about to turn to their right course, they saw on the right a ship marvellously great, now, as their ship was so swift and manageable that they apprehended no danger, even though this should prove an enemy, they resolved to wait her coming up, and when she drew nearer, they thought they had never seen so goodly a ship, nor so large, nor so richly ornamented, for the sails were all of silk, and every part was covered with rich cloths, and they could see upon the deck knights and damsels all bravely attired. Much did Don Quaragante and Don Brian marvel at this sight, and they could not imagine who came in her, so they put out a boat, and sent a squire to ask whose ship it was. The squire did as he was commanded, and one of the knights answered that Queen Briolania was aboard, on her way to the firm island. "'God be thanked,' quoth the squire at that, "'they who sent me to ask will be right glad of such tidings.' "'Good squire,' cried the damsels, "'tell us, if it please you, who be they?' Ladies, he replied, they are two knights who are voyaging to the same port as yourselves, but by the fortune of the sea have been driven hither, where what they have here met will well requite them for their fatigue. They will make themselves known as soon as I return, therefore I need say no more. Full joyful were those knights when the squire returned and told them into what company they had fallen, and they brought their ship nearer to the other vessel. And when they were come nigh, the damsels knew them, having seen them when they were with their mistress at the court of King Lisuarte. So they ran joyfully to tell the queen how they had met two knights, great friends of Amadis, Don Quaragante and Don Brian of Monjaste. She, hearing this, went out from her apartment to bid them welcome, for she had heard from her high steward, Tantales, how these knights had been sent from the firm island to Lisuarte. By the time she came out they were already on board, and went to kiss her hand, but not suffering that, she put one arm round each, and thus a while embraced them, saying, Sirs, and my good friends, I thank God for this meeting, than which nothing could have delighted me more, unless it had been to have seen Amadis of Gaul, whom, as you know, I am so much in duty bound to love. Now tell me how you have sped. They then told her all that had passed, and how no hope of any accord with King Lisuarte remained, and how they had been driven by the storm. But now, said they, we think ourselves happy to have been so driven, since we can now serve and protect you on your voyage. 
I, too, replied the queen, had my fears during that storm, for certes, I thought we never could have outlived it, but my ship is large and stout, and my anchors and cables strong, and pleased God that we neither dragged nor broke at them. I knew from my high steward Tantales that you were gone on this embassy, and knowing how fortunate King Lisuarte hath been, judged that he would continue to presume upon his fortunes. I have therefore summoned all my vessels, and call upon my friends for help, and having left Tantales to assemble and conduct the force, thought that it would be well, meantime, to go visit the Princess Oriana at the firm island, and abide with her the chance which it may please God to send us. This is the reason why you have met me here, and I am right glad that we shall proceed together. Lady mine, replied Don Brian, from one so fair as you and of such high degree, nothing but what is virtuous and noble can be expected, and such we find in your doings. The queen then desired that they would order their vessel to keep company with hers, and they themselves remain on board with her. So they were well lodged on board Queen Briolania's ship, and ate at her table, and thus they sailed pleasantly over the seas. Now you must know that when the uncle of this Queen Briolania, Abysios, was slain with his two sons by Amadis and Agraeus, in vengeance for the death of his brother, whom he had treacherously killed, he had yet another son left, who, being but a child, was by a knight carefully brought up. This son was now a young knight of great hardihood and prowess, as had in many encounters been proved, and though for a long time he was so young that he thought of nothing but following arms and increasing his honour, yet now certain servants of his father had told him that he ought to take vengeance for his death, and either recover the kingdom which by right was his, or else procure such compensation as might be worthy of his birth. So this young knight, who was called Trion, was now always ruminating on what these servants told him, and watching fair occasion to put in practice his desires, and now knowing how Amadis, whom he regarded as the main let of his ambition, was engaged with King Lisuarte, he thought he would have no leisure to direct his attention to anything but his own great danger. He therefore, having understood the departure of Queen Briolania, and that she went with so small a company that she had in her ship not more than twenty men-at-arms, and among them none of great prowess, he went out from a castle which he possessed, which castle was all that Abysseus possessed before he murdered his brother, and gathered together his friends, not telling them for what enterprise, and having collected fifty men-at-arms, and certain archers and crossbowmen besides, he fitted out two ships and put to sea, with design to take the queen, and to obtain from her a share of the kingdom, or, if he saw a favourable opportunity, recover the whole. He knew the course she was steering, and one evening came out to intercept her. The sailors, seeing these two ships coming toward them, told the queen. Immediately Don Quadragante and Don Brian went on deck, and seeing that the ships were bearing down upon them, gave order that the man should arm. This the man did, though with little apprehension of danger, and continued to hold their course. The others were now come so nigh that their voices might be heard. Then Trion called out aloud, "'Knights who are in yonder ship, tell Queen Briolania that her cousin Trion is here, and would speak with her, and bid her order her people to make no resistance, for else not one of them shall escape death.' When the Queen heard this she was greatly dismayed, and said, "'Sirs, this is the greatest enemy that I have in the world, 
and he would not venture upon this without great cause and a strong company. "'My good lady,' replied Quadragante, "'take you no fear. Please God we will soon chastise his folly.' He then ordered answer to be made, that if Trion would come alone to see the queen, he should willingly be admitted. "'Since this is your answer,' quoth Trion, "'I shall come against your will.' Then he ordered a knight, who had been one of his father's servants, to bear down in the one vessel, and board the queen's ship on one side, and he would do the same on the other. Don Brian, seeing the ships separate, guessed what was their purpose, and bade Quadragante with half the men look to the defence on one side, as he would on the other. Accordingly thus it was done, and Don Quadragante had the side which Trion himself attacked, and Brian was opposed to the other knight. Quadragante then bade his people stand forward, so that he might not be seen, and he told them not to prevent Trion from entering if he should attempt it. Anon the ship was hotly attacked on both sides, for the assailants, knowing nothing of these knights of the firm island, thought that no resistance could be made which could be any way dangerous. Immediately Trion, who was full of confidence and eager for success, leaped on board. The queen's people gave way as they had been directed, and Don Quadragante, seeing him fairly on board, then came forward. He, as you have heard in the second part of this history, was huge of stature, and when Trion beheld him, he well knew that he was not such an enemy as he had expected to meet, howbeit his heart did not fail, and he made at him bravely. They gave each other such strokes that fire fled from their helmets and swords, but Don Quadragante was the stronger man, and laid on such a load that Trion's sword dropped from his hand, and he fell upon his knees. Quadragante then looked round, and seeing that the enemies were crowding on board, he bade his men take charge of that knight, and went among the other assailants. The first whom he met, he smote so soundly on the head that he had no need of a surgeon. The others, seeing their leader taken and this other knight slain, and how manfully Quadragante was bestirring himself among them, strove to get back into their own ship, so that in their fear some were drowned, and many were slain, and the rest driven out of the vessel. Quadragante then looked and saw that Don Brian was on board the other ship, making great slaughter among his enemies, and he sent more of his men to his assistance, waiting himself to see if the attack would be renewed. With this help Don Brian speedily became master of the other vessel, for he had already slain the knight who commanded her, and the men now cried out for mercy so they gave orders that no further slaughter should be made. All this while was Queen Briolania and her women in their cabin, on their knees beseeching God to preserve them. Presently one of her people came and said, Come out, lady, and see how Trion is made prisoner, and all his men defeated, for these knights of the firm island have done such wonders in arms as no others could have achieved. When the queen heard this, she was as rejoiced as you may well suppose, and she lifted up her hands, and said, "'Blessed be the Lord Almighty, that at such a time, and for such a purpose, he sent me these knights. But from Amadis and his friends nothing but good fortune can befall me.' She then went out, and said, "'Don Quadragante, greatly am I beholden to God and to you for this service. Certes, both my person and kingdom were in great peril.' He answered, "'My good lady, here is your enemy.' command that justice may be done upon him. When Trion heard this, he feared for his life, and knelt down before her, saying, Mercy, lady, that I may not be slain. I beseech you remember your own goodness, and that I am of your blood, and that, though I have now offended, 
I may yet hereafter serve you. To this, the queen, who because of her noble nature had compassion on him, replied, Trion, not for your own desert, I will save your life till I have consulted with these knights concerning you. And she ordered him to be secured in an apartment. By this, Don Brian of Monjaste came up, and the queen embraced him and asked how he fared. Right well, he replied, and full glad that it has been my good fortune to do you any service. One wound I have received, but thank God it is not dangerous. He then showed her how an arrow had gone through his shield and part of his arm. The queen then with her fair hands drew out the arrow as gently as she could, and helped to disarm him, and he was cured as he had often been of worse wounds. Glad were they all of their victory, and they saw Trion's ship was making her escape as fast as she could, and not staying to pursue her, they held their course for the firm island. When they entered the haven, it so happened that Amadis, with the most part of the knights, were riding on their palfreys in the plain below the castle, as they were wont to do, and seeing these ships put to land, they rode to the shore to know what they were. Presently they met the squires of Quadragante and Don Brian, coming to announce their arrival, and when they reached the shore, they bade their friends welcome, and Don Brian said, speaking from the ship, "'We are come back richer than we went, but as for you, poor people, you are shut up here.' At that they all laughed, and bade him show the riches of which he was so proud. A boat then put out, and they and the queen entered it, and were put to land. Then all the knights alighted, and went to kiss her hand, but she lovingly embraced them. Amadis then came, and would have kissed her hand, but she lovingly embraced him, and held him so long as if she would never have let him go, and the tears ran down her cheeks for pure joy at seeing him, for since the battle with King Lisuarte and King Kildadan, when she was at Fenusa, she had never seen him, and though she had now no thought of ever having him for her husband, yet he was the knight in the world whom she loved best and for whose sake she would willingly risk her person and her kingdom. And when she let him go, she could scarcely speak for joy. "'Many thanks do I owe to God, lady,' said Amadis, "'that he has brought me where I can once more see you, whom I have so much desired to see. And at this time are you more welcome than ever, for great pleasure will the sight of you be to these knights, and yet greater to your friend the Princess Oriana.' for I believe there is no other person in the world whose coming would so much rejoice her as yours. She answered, For this reason, my good lord, have I left my kingdom, chiefly to see you, which was the thing in the world that I most desired. God knows the sorrow which I endured so long a time that I could learn no tidings of you, earnestly as I inquired. And now, as soon as my high steward brought me your letter, I then thought it best to come with all speed to see you and that noble lady of whom you speak, for now is the time that all her friends and servants should manifest the love they bear towards her. But in great danger should I have been, had it not been for the succour of these knights, as they will inform you. By this were all her women and attendants landed, and they placed her on such a palfrey as was becoming such a personage, and proceeded towards the tower where Oriana dwelt. Greatly was that princess delighted to hear of her arrival, and she desired Mabilia and Grasinda and the other princesses to go and meet her in the garden, while she and Queen Sardamira remained to receive her in her apartment. Queen Sardamira, seeing how much they were all rejoiced at this news, 
said to Oriana, "'Who is this, whose coming is matter of so great joy?' "'A queen,' replied she, "'the fairest in her person, as well as the goodliest in her fame, that lives, as you shall presently see.' When Briolania came to the garden gate, and saw so many ladies and in such attire, she marvelled much, and thought herself happy that she had resolved to come there, and turning to the knights, she said, "'Good sirs, God be with you. These ladies will now release you of your charge.' And smiling sweetly, she alighted, and went in, and then the gate was closed. Those ladies then courteously saluted her, and Grasinda was greatly surprised at her exceeding beauty, insomuch that had she not seen Oriana, she should have surely thought that no woman in the world could be her peer. So they led her to the tower, and when she and Oriana saw each other, they met with open arms, and embraced each other with great love. Then Oriana led her to Queen Sardamira, saying, Lady Queen, speak to the Queen Sardamira, and honour her, for she well deserves it. So they, with great curtsy, saluted each the other, each observing such demeanour as became her high rank. They then seated themselves on the estrado, Oriana being between them, and the other ladies seated around. "'Good my lady,' said Oriana, "'great courtesy is this, that you should come to visit me from so far a land, and much do I thank you, for such a journey would not have been undertaken but for great love.' "'Lady,' replied the queen, "'ungrateful should I deserve to be accounted, if at this time I had not manifested to all the world the desire I have to do you honour and service.' especially as the business so nearly concerns Amadis of Gaul, to whom you know how greatly I am beholden. I have left Tantiles to collect all the force of my dominions, and meanwhile believe that I ought to come and bear you company till this business was ended, which may please our Lord to end as you would desire. May he do so in his mercy, replied Oriana. I hope Don Quadragante and Don Brian will bring good tidings of some accord with my father, but Briolania, knowing that in truth they brought none, did not reply. Thus they continued in discourse, till at length the damsel of Denmark said, "'Remember, lady, that the queen is just come from her voyage, and will be glad to sup and retire to rest. It is time that you should take her to your apartment, as she is to be your guest.' Oriana, then having asked if all was ready, took leave of Queen Sardamira and Grasinda, who went to their apartments, and went with Briolania to her chamber. When they were alone, Briolania asked who was that goodly lady with Queen Sardamira, and being told it was Grasinda, and all that she had done for Amadis. "'Wretch that I am,' she replied, "'that I should not have known this when she accosted me. Now I pray you, when we have supped, let her be sent for, that I may honour her as she deserves, for the good service she rendered Amadis.' So, after they had supped, the damsel of Denmark, went for Grasinda, and Briolania courteously excused herself that she had not with more kindness saluted her, not knowing the great help which Amadis had from her received. And as they conversed together, Grasinda told them how she had first known Amadis, when under the name of the Knight of the Green Sword he had wrought such achievements in Romania, and throughout all Germany. "'I was so well pleased with him,' said she, that though I was so great a lady in that land, and he appeared only a poor errant knight, I should have been well content to take him in marriage, and should have thought no queen in the world equal to me in good fortune. 
but seeing him so thoughtful and overcome by so deep a melancholy, I suspected that the cause could be nothing but love, and therefore I asked Gandalin, who knew the drift of my question, and at one time denied it, and then told me that he suspected it might be so. This he said to divert me from any farther thought of that which could not be brought to pass, and for that I thanked him much, and from that hour entertained such thoughts no longer. Briolania, hearing this, smiled at Oriana, and said, Methinks, lady, this knight spreads this disorder farther than we imagine. Remember what he told us at the castle of Miraflores. So thus they communed till it was the hour of rest. Grasinda then took leave, and Briolania slept with Mobilia in a bed which was made near Oriana's. Chapter 17 Of the answer which Don Quadragante and Brian of Monjasta brought from King Lisuarte, and what all those knights resolved upon. On the morrow all the knights assembled to hear mass, and to learn what answer Don Quadragante and Don Brian brought from Lisuarte. When they were met together after mass, Quadragante said, Good sirs, our answer was so brief that I have nothing to say, except that you ought to thank God that with so great justice and reason you may gain great renown, and prove the virtue of your noble hearts. King Lisuarte will listen to nothing but rigour. He then related all that passed, and how he knew that the king had sent to the Emperor of Rome, and to all his friends for aid. At this Agrius answered, who was nothing grieved at this issue, and had so long moderated his anger only in compliance with Oriana. Certes, good sirs, I always thought it would be more difficult to obtain security for the princess, and maintain our own honours, than to raise help for the war. And for my own part I will now tell you that I am better pleased to have war than that we should have made a court, which might have easily been broken. For King Lisuarte and the Emperor are powerful princes, and can at any time soon collect their forces, which we, who derive our succours from many and distant places, cannot so easily bring together. Better, therefore, is open war than so dangerous a peace. They all exclaimed at this that what Agrius said was true, and that they ought to assemble their army without delay, and give Lisuarte battle in his own kingdom. Now had Amadis all along been fearful lest the court should have been made with the king, for though his honour would have been secured thereby, yet should he have been obliged to deliver up Oriana, who would in that case have again been where he could have no means to see her, and that to him would have been worse than death, so that what the ambassador and Gria said rejoiced him more than if he had been made lord of the world. "'Sir, my cousin,' quoth he, "'your actions have been full chivalrous, and greatly ought we who are of your lineage to thank God that we have among us a knight like you, so able to defend his honour in danger, and to increase it in counsel. As you and these chiefs have so well determined, it only remains for me to follow your will. Angriotta of Estravaus, who was a brave knight and of good heart, and who truly loved Amadis, rightly judged that, though he said nothing of his opinion, yet was he well pleased that no accord had been made, and this, he thought, proceeded from his love of danger and arms, not suspecting the true cause. He therefore said, Sirs, you ought all to be well contented with the result of this embassy, for war is not only safer than peace, but more to our honour, and we shall leave a fame behind us in this world as immortal as our souls will be in the next. 
let us then lose no time in summoning all our force. So, having thus determined, they all went to their meal. Chapter 18 How Master Helisabad arrived at the land of Grasinda, and from thence went to Constantinople with the bidding of Amadis, and how he sped. Such good speed had Master Elisabad on his voyage, that he arrived safely at the land of his lady Grasinda, and there having summoned all the chiefs of the land, he produced his powers and entreated them to fulfil their lady's will. They all replied that they should with good will accomplish it, and forthwith gave order to assemble horsemen, and archers, and crossbowmen, and equipped what vessels they had, and set about building others. When the master saw how actively they made these preparations, he left a young knight by name of Libio, who was his nephew, to superintend the armament, and put to sea himself, and went to Constantinople. When he arrived at the palace, they told him the emperor was talking with his good man, so he went in, and knelt down, and kissed the emperor's hand, who received him courteously, as one whom he knew and held for a good man. The master then gave him the letter of Amadis, but when the emperor learned that the knight of the green sword was that Amadis of Gaul, of whom he had heard so much, he said, "'Master, I must complain of you, if you knew the name of this knight and did not tell me, for I am vexed that a man of such high lineage and so renowned should come to my court and be by me honoured as only a knight-errant. "'Sir,' replied the master, "'I swear by my holy orders that I never knew who he was till he left off the title of the Greek knight and discovered himself to Grasinda.' "'How,' quoth the emperor, "'did he call himself the Greek knight after he went from hence?' "'What?' cried the master. "'Have you not heard of the great things which the Greek knight achieved?' and then he related how he had won the crown for Grasinda, and in what manner he had quelled the pride of the Romans, who despised him, thinking him to be a Greek. Right glad were all they who were present to hear such tidings. "'Now then,' said the Emperor, "'deliver your bidding.' With that Master Elizabeth related all that had fallen out, and besought him on the part of Amadis, that if King Lisuarte, instead of coming to reasonable accord, should come against him, with the Emperor of Rome and a great power, who would be pleased to assist him in defending the wrong princes, he being one of the principal ministers whom God had appointed to maintain justice upon earth. When the Emperor heard this, he saw that it was a weighty matter, for he knew the worth of King Lisuarte, and how highly he prized his honour, and he knew also the haughty spirit of Alpatin, how much more he was guided by pride than by reason yet considering the justice of the cause, and how Amadis had travelled so far to see him, and the promise he had made, albeit it were made lightly and with no such meaning as was now given to it, and calling to mind also the wrongs he had formerly received from the Emperor of Rome, he replied, "'You have told me great things, master, and from a good man like you it is to be believed. Since then the brave Amadis hath need of my succour, I will give it him as fully as I promised.' even as the word of so great a man given to so renowned a knight ought to be accomplished. I never yet began thing which I did not carry through to the end. Then were all they rejoiced who heard, and above all Gastilus, the nephew of the emperor, who knelt down and besought that he might go with the succour. Good nephew, replied the emperor, I am well pleased that you should, and I command you and the Marquis Saladair, 
to take charge of providing such a fleet as becomes my rank, and, if need be, you shall go in it and give battle to the Emperor of Rome. You may well think how Master Elisabad rejoiced to receive such an answer. Sir, said he, for what you have said, I kiss your hand on the part of the knight who sent me, and for myself, who bears the embassy, being such as I am, I kiss your feet. Now then, I pray you, for I have much to do, give me leave to depart, and if the Emperor of Rome should send his forces, do you dispatch yours in time to meet them. Go in God's name, master, replied the Emperor. Leave the rest to me. If need be, you shall see who I am, and how I esteem Amadis. The master then took leave, and returned to the land of his lady Grasinda. End of Book 4, Chapter 18